Brad and Glenda Pius. Thank you so much for sewing into Morning Drive Bible. Without your commitment and support, this initiative couldn't come to fruition. Good morning from Jerusalem. My name is David Nekretman. My name is Scott Kahn. And welcome to Morning Drive Bible. David, this has been an adventure in our attempt to understand the second verse of Genesis. The Spirit of God. We have moved into the first verse and seen some wild and radical interpretations, but these wild and radical interpretations have increased our understanding of the depth of the Word of God. All about trying to understand how we relate to God and to humanity, to repair a broken world, to access, to be invited into the words of the Torah and discover its depth. And one issue which we have not really talked about is the specific name of God, which is utilized in this verse. Right, because the translations of the Hebrew just simply say God, but they don't talk about the name of God and what it really means. And the first name of God that's introduced in the Bible is Elohim. And there are many names of God that are used throughout the Bible. They're used in different contexts to express different ways of relating to God. A few episodes ago, I mentioned that according to an ancient interpretation, the first three words of Genesis can be translated as, in the beginning, he, the absolute, created a way of relating to him, which we would call God. At the same time, we haven't dealt with why that specific name in this particular place. So what does Elohim mean, Scott? Well, that word itself, the word Elohim, actually means power or judge. It is used elsewhere in the Bible sometimes to refer to idolatrous gods. It can be used in a non-holy sense in that way. Even judges are called Elohim. It has this concept of power, an authority figure, and specifically in the Bible, it seems that that word is used most often when referring to God himself as God as he's manifest in the natural world. In other words, God as the source of all power, which manifests itself not necessarily in an interpersonal relationship with God, that he talks to me, that I pray to him, rather a relationship with God that is manifest through the silence and majesty of the natural universe. This is an important introduction to understand the name of God, first introduced in the Bible, for it repeats the name of God, Elohim, in verse 2. In fact, it repeats the same name of God throughout the first 34 verses of the Bible. Before we get to that line, these are the generations of heaven and earth, at which point it introduces a new name of God, as we're about to be introduced to Adam and Eve, as we're about to be introduced to the concept of God interacting with human beings in a more direct personal way. At that point, a new name of God is introduced. We can deal with that perhaps in a later episode. At this point, though, the name Elohim refers specifically to God as the authority, the master of all nature, the master and source of all power, the one whom I see as being reflected in the majesty of creation. Scott, I'm trying to understand. If this is about God all-powerful, the authority of the world, manifesting himself in a construct so we can understand him, why Elohim? That's perplexing to me because I'd rather have the other name of God that's more sweet and more relatable. But I guess the answer really is that humanity wasn't created yet. This is talking about God throughout all of creation when there's no one yet there to relate to him. This is before man was created. But even once man was created, my understanding of this name of God is that in order for us to have that relationship with God, in order for us to have that personal relationship with God, it has to first be predicated on an understanding that he is the boss. In other words, 
First, we understand that he is the source of all power. He is God with a capital G. He is the one, the absolute, the one who is powerful, omnipotent, omniscient. Once I understand that, once I've internalized that, now God says it's time for personal relationship. It has to be predicated on the understanding that this personal relationship is on his terms because he's all-powerful. It's almost like first we understand God as our parent, the boss. Later on, we're old enough to have a relationship still as our parent, but a more personal, friendly relationship. It starts off understanding who's in charge, and it moves on from that into a relationship of friendship. And I think that's why it moves first from the name of God as authority, moving later on into the name of God as the one to whom we relate as friends, as a spouse, as the one we love. There's a beautiful Jewish tradition that says God created the world in judgment, but realized that the world couldn't stand in strict justice. And then later on, God comes into the unfolding of the history of the heavens and the earth, and then adds the attribute of God's name of mercy. And in fact, David, just to close this episode, that's how I understand the sequence of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Day of Judgment and the Day of Atonement. They appear 10 days apart. First, God is the judge. First, we relate to him as the one who's in charge. Once we've internalized that message, then we can internalize the message of love, the God who forgives us, the God who wants to have a relationship with us, the God who gives us unearned blessings, the one to whom we relate as a spouse. That's Yom Kippur. And that comes after Rosh Hashanah because first we relate to him as creator and judge. The same thing's true here. First we have the name of judgment and authority and power. After that we have the relationship of love. And the reason why Scott is bringing up the Jewish New Year is that there is a Jewish tradition that says that the world was created on the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of Tishrei. It all comes together. I'm Scott Kahn. I'm David Nekrutman, and blessings from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.